0: Oh, It's good to be in the house of the Lord, it's good to be together, to worship together, uh, to, to really, to allow God to judge us together. Um, we are starting in a new section in Romans, and, and it's funny, I just turned to Proverbs, that doesn't work, uh, but uh, Romans chapter 2, in that we're going to be seeing God-define judgment Let me ask you a question. Who is good? Are you good? (laughs) Everybody's like, pastor's asking a trick question. I'm not answering. Are you good? Isn't that really a question we see proposed every day in our society? Everybody is determining what good is. There are a lot of people that decide their own good or the good of others. Um, and so, I mean, that's why we have elections, isn't it? Is who's going to determine what good is? So we're going to look at what is judgment? How do we define judgment? God God knew that this was going to be a problem, and so he laid it out very plainly and succinctly for us. But judgment in our society and culture um, can be easily twisted, and we've seen that. Uh, you know, Have you ever been and done something and and say, look at the good thing I did? And everybody kind of looks at you like, you're crazy. It's like, you know, when you paint your stick figure and you're in painting class and you got your stick figure and look at it, it's so good. And everybody has painted this beautiful painting, right? And they're looking at you like, I have no idea. You know, you're you're with a, a pencil and they have this beautiful artwork. And uh, they're judging you, and they're looking at you like you're a little off, right? Have you ever been there? I've I've always I've always uh, growing up, I pursuing what I thought was good. I thought I found good in sports. Um, I determined what good was. I could outrun everybody. People are like, how come you're so fast? And it's because I was bullied all the time. I learned to run. <laughs> I learned that the faster you ran, the less you got bullied. Uh, and so I became a sprinter, um, and uh, you know I, I did a lot of sports growing up, thinking that made me good. I found that a lot of things in society became a judge on whether I was good or not. I found that a lot of people I looked to a lot of people to determine what good was. I and I and I got saved, and I started going to church. And I, I, a missionary led me to the Lord with my mom and. And I found this whole new source of good, because, I mean, how in the world would this missionary was talking about all these good things of God, and then he told me all these stories, and the stories didn't sound good. And they were talking about all these hardships, and then they were like, and I can't wait to go back to that hardship and talk about a good God. And it just blew my mind, so much so that I thought, well, if... If, if they say that God is good and, and they tell me all these bad things that happen because God is good and they want to go back, then God really must be good for them to overlook all those things that I didn't think was good. It began to change my perspective on, on what I deemed good and I looked to something else in life. And maybe that's you. Maybe you realize and you thought and you think in your mind, this is what good is. And you make a judgment based on different variables in your life, different circumstances, different joys, different desires, different passions to determine what is right. And we get to our text this morning and And we begin to realize that we've been spending all this time talking about God's wrath, and we're like, yes, because God's wrath is poured out on all those people who are ungodly. Thank the Lord, I am not one of them. And we get to chapter 2. And we have to say, do we really understand what God has been saying since verse 18 of chapter 1? Well, let's let's pray. and Let's ask God to teach us this morning. Lord. We realize, I realize, that I am often driven by the circumstances in my life. I think about when I wake up is it going to be raining? Is it going to be cold? Am I going to be walking in the mud, working in the mud? Um, and I think about different realities. And when I get to hear about um, hardships, Am I going to hear about pain, sadness? And Lord, I I realize that I'm distracted. And Lord, many times I, I think of myself that, do we really understand what you're trying to teach us? And so Lord, I just pray simply that we would be able to acknowledge what judgment really is. May we allow you to be the measuring tape that defines judgment. May we measure all these things according to you. May we allow you to be the great judge in why is that. So Lord, help us as we look at Romans chapter 2 for a while. And may we find great benefit in it as we read your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, God has been talking about those that are immoral, those that are in the world, those that have turned their back on God. In verse 18, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, in their unrighteous ways, in their immoral living, in all those things. And he went on to define how, why God gave them up to all those things and where it led It led us to verse 28 and 29, where their mind and their thinking was affected. In fact, in verse 31, where they were without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they knew the righteous requirements of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only... They not only do the same practices, but also give heartily approval to those who practice them. And then it comes to our text, in verse one and two. And it says, "Therefore, you are without excuse, O man, everyone who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice." The very same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. We go into this idea of of God's righteous or right judgment. Judgment is defined by a lot of things in our society. In fact, according to most law schools in the law journals, in the law books, they define judgment as this. They say judgment means the final judgment. Decision made by a court or tribunal. After the judge considers all the relevant evidence of the legal trial and considers all rights and obligations, the plaintiff and the defendant will receive the final ruling. This judgment could end with potential or existing disputes among the disputing parties by listing which side was ruled in favor of and listing what remedies are to be rewarded or awarded. According to the USC a form of justice and law, each party could appeal directly to the court of appeals against the existing judgment. So there's, you go through this process, there's someone who's going to preside, going to look at all the facts, and is going to make it a final judgment. But in the end, you can still appeal to another judgment. We see that happening all the time. We see people, court cases, being uh, you know, presided over, and there's a final judgment only to be repealed, right? Or appealed to and changed. And then it continues to go until it gets to the highest court in the land. And then they set precedence over a final judgment. I want you to notice something. As we get to chapter 2 and verse 1, did you notice... The shift in pronouns. Yes, pronouns are very important. Not the way the world sees them, but they are important. In in chapter 1, in verses 18 through the end of the chapter, he said, they, 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 they that turn their back on God, they that ignore God, they that want to suppress the truth of God, they that don't want to acknowledge God. We see as he's talking about our society and about our culture, who saw fit to turn their back on God. And a lot of times there's a lot of argument about who the they really are. There's some people that say it's it's, you know, people talking about the Gentiles. And we know that Paul is speaking, uh, God, had God gave Paul this message to give to Rome. And Rome is in a very Gentile city. It's a very worldly, sinful, you know, immoral city. They don't love God. In fact, they try to supplant God with all sorts of things and they set up their rulers as God and they live for passions and desires. So everything that we see mentioned in verses 18 through 32 speaks about Rome and we know that. So they simply is is dealing with whether it's a Gentile nation or a Gentile society or a society simply that just does not follow God at all. But now, we come to an amazing statement. A therefore, or also a connection saying, just as, you are without excuse. He shifts his pronouns and he's going. There's some debate that it's talking now to Jews. And in fact, there's some inference to Jewish tradition in verses 16 through the end of the chapter of chapter 2. But the reality is, is he now shifts over to you or those who are thinking about the Lord. You are without excuse, oh man. He's talking about a different group of people. Those who are judging the people that are committing these immoral acts. And you're saying, yeah, those guys are horrible. We look at our society and we say, those are immoral people. They don't love the Lord. Right? It's easy. They're not good. And it's easy to judge because we see that they've really turned their backs on God. It's easy to say, yeah, they're not using their bodies correctly. They're not not using the gift of a sexual relationship in marriage correctly. They're not thinking correctly. They don't have common sense. And we say, well, yeah, they're, they're them. But we have the Lord. That's what, how the Jews lived. Therefore you are without excuse. This is quite an amazing thing. As we look at the introduction, there's some important things for us to understand is that this is a group of people that believe that they're good. They had a knowledge of God. They had a relationship, they thought with God. They were therefore looking at the society around them and judging them because, of what they knew about God. And this idea of without excuse means they're able to offer a legal defense at a trial. What he's saying is that you are not without excuse. You can't offer a legal defense. You are defenseless. It's a legal term. Paul goes to court in chapter 2 to define judgment that is measured by something Other than what we think is good. Saying you are without excuse. But then he talks about this and judge means this, to make a forensic decision. It's It's a forensic term to examine all the facts and to base it on something that is true. To make a forensic decision. If you watch CSI, you understand that whole concept. They go through, they look at all the facts, and all the facts determine the outcome. They can judge the scene of the crime by what they see in front of them. That is what he's saying. You are without excuse, oh man, because you are judging, you are making a forensic decision about people that you say are immoral, but you yourself are in the same boat. Condemnation means this, to pronounce a sentence of condemnation on a on one judge guilty do we rightly understand what god has been saying in chapter 1 about that god is against all ungodliness and unrighteousness whether paul was specific specifically talking to the jewish community or if He was talking to those that were in the church in Rome, which is yes and yes. Either way, they were so focused on the ungodliness of the society around them, they forgot they themselves are in the same boat. Here's the principle about judgment. This is the first thing that we see in our text about what defines true judgment, and that is God's judgment will be based on truth. It's not based on our desires or what we think. It's not based on society society, or on religion. It's not based on just simply a knowledge of God. We are, it says here, it says, You are without excuse, O oh man, everyone who passes judgment on one another. You condemn yourself. I like John seven twenty five 25, as, as Jesus is talking. He says, do not judge by appearance. And the world uses this chapter, by the way, to talk about judging, but we miss the whole fact. It says, do not judge by appearance, but judge with right judgment. That's because God's judgment will always be based on truth, His truth. Moral, self-righteous people often determine judgment for all the wrong reasons. We often determine judgment on society because we look at them and say, well, they're obviously bad and we're obviously good. But the reality is when we judge the society around us, we really are judging ourselves. Paul's point to sum up these two verses, Paul's point is this, the moral person that believes they're good, or we can just say the self-righteous person that believes that they're good, who is judge and jury over a depraved or immoral sinner actually condemns himself because or for he can see the same sin and guilt that he sees in others, he sees that same sin in his own heart. And he should be able to rightly, based on God's truth, condemn himself and say, I need to be cleansed from that same sin that is in my heart. I need to trust in Christ. I need to trust in the Lord and stop trusting myself. We see this all through when if you look at the way that, that Jesus talked to the Pharisees and the Sadducees because they they kept looking at everybody around them and say, look at how good I am. They are not good. And judgment is based not on what we determine good is, but what God says is true. A self-righteous person judges the sins of others while overlooking their own sin. Jesus said in Matthew 7 5, he says, You hypocrite, take the log out of your own eye, then you will be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. A lot of times a good and moral person will say, uh, you know, they never see their own faults. They're blinded because their own faults get in the way, but they are trying to see everybody else's faults to look, and looking past their own. And Jesus says, you can't do that. That's not judging correctly. That's not true judgment. In fact, 1 John 1.8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. There's that word truth again. The more that God's judgment is in us, the truth, His truth, that He defines all things by His truth, we realize how imperfect we are. That leads to the second thing, and that is self-righteous person or a moral person that thinks they're good judges others based on selective standards, not on all of God's Word. Jesus again Indicting the Pharisees and saying you are guilty. In Matthew chapter 23, he levies one after another. You got to read the whole chapter. We're going to be in Matthew 23 for a little bit here, and he says the Pharisees picked out certain laws and prided themselves on their obedience, but they neglected the weightier part of the law. In fact, in Matthew 23, 23 and 24. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. They're tithing, they're They're giving of all the little spices that they have in their house. They're going through their house and saying, okay, I have all these spices and I have to give a tenth. So they're measuring out. Can you imagine taking all your spices and putting it on a scale? I mean, we have a digital scale, right? When when, uh, Todd, as a butcher goes to smoke his meat he has a digital scale and he knows exactly the weight of that needs to be mixed with everything right we don't know it and we're always going to how much do we need to give and there's this digital scale and we know exactly how much spice goes into the sausage or into the pepperoni and it's good we love it and they're going through they didn't they had these weird scales right and they're sitting there and they're going through and they're weighing out all their spices And saying, look, we give 10% even of our spices. And he says they do this. And in verse 23, he says, And yet you have neglected the weightier matters of the law. Justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides straining out a gnat and yet trying to swallow a camel. They tied the, you know the all the spices they had on their table, but they neglected truth. They invite, they even invented loopholes so they could keep the law. They would go in and they'd say, "Oh, if you swear by the temple, you could actually break whatever you swear. You weren't obligated to keep your word, but if you." Go in, in the end of, uh, in verses 16 through 21 of Matthew 23, he says, but if you swore by the gold of the temple, you had to keep your word. (laughs) Can you think about it? Oh yeah. But the the self-righteous person picks part of the Bible or the, the law that he likes, and he prides himself in keeping it, but he doesn't look at the whole truth. John 7, 24. Do not judge by appearance, but judge with right judgment. Well, what is right judgment? Psalm 119, verse 160. Yes, there's 160 verses in Psalm 119. And he ends with this, and he says, The sum of your word is truth. Every one of your righteous rules endures forever. The whole complete Word of God is truth, not just bits and pieces of it. You can't go and say, I like this and look how good I am because I follow this, but I don't have to follow any of these other things. John 17, 17 says, Jesus praying for His disciples, praying for us, that being His disciples, it says, sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. So a self-righteous person is selective. They like certain things but don't need the other things. We see people dissecting that all the time. They're saying we don't need the Old Testament. Or oh, we, all we have to do is read what is in red and we don't have to do anything else in the New Testament, just what's in red. Or if Paul wrote it, we just follow what Paul says. Or if this person wrote it, we don't actually follow what Paul says because we just follow what Jesus says. There are people cutting up the Bible and making their own rules because they don't want to follow everything that God says. Which leads to the third one, and that is this. A self-righteous person is more concerned about external conformity than truth. Again, in Matthew 23, verse 28, it says, So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Their outside is clean, but the inside, their heart, is full of deceit. Self-righteous hypocrites want to keep up outwardly. Say, look, I'm a Christian. I love people. I love this. I love that. And they keep up the appearance. I go to church. I dress up. Or I have my Bible. Now it's just I have my Bible on the phone. Right? No, pastor, I'm really not playing the game right now on my phone. I'm just reading the Bible. Yeah, I see some of you. I know you're still looking at other things. (laughs) Most of you that are using your Bible on your tablet or phone, you look up after a while. (laughs) Here's the thing. It's all about appearance, right? It's not according to... You don't want to know God because the more you know God, He reveals the ungodliness inside. But as He changes you from the inside, then your outside changes but not a self-righteous person. A moral, self-righteous person is not interested in helping others grow in godliness, but only want to gain popularity. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 13, and verse 15, it says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, for you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, in verse 15, you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. Jesus is making the point is, is that you care about gathering people to you, but not to God. They didn't want people to be gathered to God. They wanted people to be gathered to them. Why do they hate Jesus so much? Because they loved, they flocked to Jesus because he was different. Because he said repent and believe the kingdom of God is at hand and they were focusing not on just being good, but that he that God is good. They weren't focused on bringing people to heaven they were just focused on bringing people to themselves they didn't care about people's hearts they cared more about gaining a following it's more about numbers not about whether they love the lord galatians 1:10, paul talking to the church in galatia he says for am i now seeking the approval of man or of god am i trying to please man If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. The more you try to please yourself or to gather a following to yourself, the less you really focus on pleasing Christ. It's more about pleasing yourself. It's getting a little more personal. (laughs) Do you see, do we truly understand what God's trying to teach us about the depravity of our heart? A self righteous or moral person justifies himself by comparing himself with others or by blaming others for his own sin. This is truly an indictment to those that think they're good when he says in verse 1 of Romans, You are without excuse, O oh man. Well, I call this, this my theological expertise in this statement is this I call this the Adam complex you know what I mean in Genesis chapter 3 verse 12 where it says when God confronted Adam for eating of the apple and the man said the woman you gave me to be with me it was her she gave me the fruit right you look to somebody else It's the Adam complex. But then, you know, the woman complex, it's that stupid spider, right? It's that serpent. It's the spider. It's something else, whatever you're afraid, you know, women, whatever you're afraid of. Right? It says, then the Lord said to the woman, what is it that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me. It's the serpent's fault. It's the serpent that made me do it. You know, I, I, I blame my... My wife not allowing us to have a pet snake on this passage right here. It's the serpent's fault. (laughs) I'm just poking fun. But all of us do this, don't we? We look at the world around us. We look at what's going on. We're saying they're heathens, they're sinners. And all the time in our heart, we have the same struggle of ungodliness. We're quick To compare ourselves to those around us. Jesus told the parable of the proud Pharisee, right? In Luke. In uh, Luke, he quotes in uh, verse 18, in verse 11 and 12, he says, God, I thank you that I'm not like those other people. Maybe you've done that. I, I have. Sometimes I look at what's going on in our world and I'm just... You know, when I go over and I've been, I've sat a couple of times with the Hively family and we've laughed and we've cried and I was having a hard time singing a couple of those songs today because I was thinking about Jim Sr. And, but I've caught myself and I'm like, I'm so grateful I'm not like the world. They don't have a clue about the joy that waits for us on the other side because of what Christ has done for us how can the world face death? And then I think about, man, and and the more I think about the gospel and the more I realize, man, I'm so glad I don't have the same problems that they do. And I find myself, I'm like, oh, and I read this verse and I realize I'm not without excuse either. I compare myself and I'm, prone to look at, and the Pharisee and, and that Jesus is talking about in Luke, he says, thank you that I'm not like these other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like the tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pray, I pay all my tithes of all that I get. And we compare ourselves to those around us. And we know that in the parable there was the, the tax collector, You know, there was the, the sinner over there standing there, and beating his breast and, and praying to the Lord and saying, I'm, I'm, I'm unjust, I'm unworthy. And Jesus said, who is the one that went away justified? Is it not the one who humbled himself? God doesn't grade on the curve. I love that. I was in a, my Acts class. I thought, oh, I'll take the book of Acts my, in my senior year of, in, in Bible college and I thought, oh, I'll take the It's easy, right? It's all history. It's fun, it'll be great. And I had this professor. And man, he beat us. We had to memorize. Like, we had to know everything that happened in every chapter of the book of Acts. Every person, in, you know, he'd give us a name, and we had to know what chapter it was in. And I was like, holy cow. I'm like, this is supposed to be an easy freshman class. And I'm like, I was getting a B in the class, and I'm like, 80% of the people were getting Fs in the class. And I was like, holy cow. And, and then finally he was told that he had to grade on the curve. So I went to an A, and everybody hated me and my friend because we were getting A's, and everybody else, there was a lot of people still getting D's and C's. God doesn't grade that way. He doesn't grade on the curve. He grades on the truth and the truth is that our, our heart is desperately wicked here's the thing as we look at god's judgment it's not measured by us it's not measured by what we think is good it's not measured by our righteousness it's not measured by how many times we go to church judgment the judgment of god is not measured by it's measured by god's right his truth that's the first principle we learn about god's judgment Proverbs chapter 21, verse 2 says, Every every way of man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Jeremiah 17, verses 9 through 10, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? I, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Proverbs 28 in verse 13 whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper but he who confesses and forsakes him will obtain mercy what we're learning is really really easy to have a wrong view of sin in righteousness it's really really easy to start to judge based on what we see going on around us. It's really, really easy to think of ourselves better than we really are. The truth of the matter is, is when we look to God and we realize the truth of God's righteousness, and we see that, the more we realize we're not good. We are without excuse. That we are truly condemned just like everybody else. But we have a Savior. Amen? Amen. We have the Lord Jesus Christ. The truth is, the problem is, is we, the world defines truth by a horizontal view and not based on who God is. Therefore, it's easy to have a wrong view of sin and righteousness. Anytime we get caught viewing others more than God, we falter. Who's judging you? Is it God? Or are you allowing the society around you to judge you? Are you judging the society based on you? Or are you basing it on God's righteousness? Are you judging your life based on right or good things? Or are you basing it on God's truth? Judgment is not defined by our society and our world and our good standing. It's based on God's truth. What are you judging things on? You'll struggle the more you base it on what's going on around us. God really lays it on, on us here. It says, And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls Upon those who practice such things. What things? Those who judge others whose heart is also needing to be judged because of our sinfulness. That still remains. God sanctifies us, He changes us based on His truth. Are you letting God's truth change you? Or are you sitting here today feeling good because of what you see going on around us? Saying, I'm not that bad. Or are you letting God's truth redefine you, grow you from the inside out? Don't be good on the outside and rotten to the core on the inside. Don't fall apart. Let God strengthen you from the inside, changing you because of His truth. God's judgment is right and good, as we'll discover next week. Let's pray. Lord, it's hard to be judged and to be found guilty. We don't like it. So we try to redefine it. Based on external things. Lord help us to realize. That you and you alone are true. Your word is truth. How do we rightly judge all things? We do it according to the truth of your word. Lord may we know you. Lord you've told us that all the power comes through your salvation, through the gospel, the good news. Your righteousness comes through the gospel, through a gift that we could not do. We could not do the work of salvation to to save us from our sins, but you died on the cross. Jesus, you did, and you took the judgment of our sin, the wrath of God, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. All the times that we've tried to suppress the truth, all the sin, past, present, and future, you took it to the cross to pay for it. That way we could be seen as clean in your eyes. So we could be found not guilty. Lord, how do we enjoy a right relationship and be found true. It's by seeking you and living our life based on your truth, not the truth that we decide. Lord, help us to be changed and renewed and refreshed. And Lord, to be judged by your truth. That way we can be found in you. Lord, thank you For your truth that you've given to us. May we use that to give that to those that are around us and not be based on our goodness, but follow your word and bring people to the saving knowledge of knowing who you are and what you've done for us. May we give them the good news that we are not good. We need a savior. And there is one, and it's found in Jesus. May we provide that to those around us and stop focusing on all of their bad things and realize we're in the same boat. We have an evil heart and we need it to be changed and clean. Just as Paul said, there's things that I know I shouldn't do and yet I struggle with it. I still find myself wanting to do them. But Lord, he said, do I continue to do it? And he said, no. I come to you I repent, I confess my sins, and you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness because you are the right judge who judges rightly. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.